Hi and welcome to the Msingi Talks podcast, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust. This podcast ventures deeper into issues of faith, advocacy, activism, and makes connections between these worlds. Psalms 89.14 states that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. And here we unpack how the church, as the body of Christ and institution, can faithfully embody justice and righteousness in both word and deed. Karibuni and let's do justice. Hello, this is a trigger warning that the following episode contains content of rape and gender-based violence. This is also a three-part episode, so tune in in the following weeks for parts two and three. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Msingi Talks, a podcast hosted by Msingi Trust, where we make connections between faith, justice, and advocacy. We are very honoured to have you as our guest today with, uh, as a guest listening in and also very honored to have Dr. Damaris Parsitao um, to be engaging with us. We'll be talking around so many issues around gender-based violence, around patriarchy, around um, the role of the church and women in the church and what is the place of, um, of the women in, in Christianity especially. If you, just a heads up, if you do not know, we have a Patreon page that you can support the work that we're doing. You can do a monthly donation or a once-off donation on the PayPal or the Patreon. So uh, watch out for that at the end uh, on the show notes. All right, Dr. Damaris Karibusana, it's an honor. It's a great honor to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, the honor is mine, Carol, and uh, thank you for asking and thank you for what you do. I am I, I'm extremely honored to uh, have this conversation with you, and uh, and uh, you know it's it's always so wonderful for women to sit down and have conversation about things that uh, really matter to them and things that concern uh, their lives in this country. So thank you. Asante Dactari, could you please give a brief introduction to who you are, um, where are you, because you're a lecturer, who you teach, what you teach about, and then I'd also love for you to share with us a few things that bring you joy, and also think of a few things that bring you sorrow. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so I'm, I'm Damaris Parsita, as you've said, um, I, I work at Egerton University as a professor. I teach uh, religion and gender studies. That's my specialization. And uh, I, I have been directing the Institute for Women, Gender and Development Studies uh, for uh, nearly seven years. Uh, my term came to an end in 2019, December. And uh, I continue to work with women and girls uh, uh, in, in this country and beyond. I work in girls' education spaces and gender equality. Uh, I also run uh, non-profits of organizations that work to, you know, in uh, the same space, uh, girls' education and gender equality and social justice. Um, in fact, uh, girls' education and social justice issues, I consider myself a social justice advocate for uh, girls' education and gender equality. And, um, and uh, uh, 
I also work in policy spaces. I write, I blog, I, I publish, uh, and, and raise issues. Most of my publications are located within gender and faith and activism and advocacy and, and gender-based violence uh, broadly conceptualized. I'm also a mom uh, of two children. Uh, I'm a Christian. Um, and uh, uh, what else am I? I'm a community mobilizer and I'm a leadership coach. And I am a member of a society and I'm uh, you know, absolutely engaged in social justice issues, whether through my academic work or, or through activism and advocacy. Uh, or even through community mobilization. Um, the thing that makes me alive is being in community, having conversation with women and men and girls across the country. And uh, the things that make me tick and have joy is to see women gain an education and occupy spaces where decisions are made, where uh, they have voice and agency. Uh, uh, being a mom gives me, I think, uh, the biggest joy in the world. Uh, and, and, and I say that with utmost respect, uh, recognizing that there are many other ways of mothering. And I recognize that and I, 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 I love inclusivity and never leaving anybody behind. So in my particular case, mothering gives me joy, but I'm also... Uh, not just a biological mother, but uh, every aspect of motherhood uh, and unmothering that you can uh, think of. The thing that uh, really takes away my joy is violence, uh, broadly conceptualized, particularly by violence against women. I hate to see people in lack and in poverty and in hunger. Mm. I hate to see um, the breakdown of uh, social services, particularly just during this time of COVID when uh, we have had a meltdown, you know, in our health services, yeah. our functional government uh, that loves and prioritizes uh, its people and serves mm. people with the dignity that they deserve as, as a country. Yeah. Oh, Asante Daktari, and I think I want to say how I got to know you. I think I read, I read your first article, and maybe we can start with that. I, 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 I know you write for the elephant, and how I got to know you was uh, after you published or wrote about your research on Doctor Prophet Wars. Uh, uh, ministry and the gender dynamics in that church. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe share, I know this is like a lifetime kind of work, but could you share why, what led you to doing that, to writing about that? And what findings did you, did you find from that research? It, it, it's, a, it's a very long uh, story that has many dimensions. Uh, but I think the thing that piqued my interest about uh, Prophet David O'War were two. One, how he traveled and how he causes uh, tremendous, tremendous traffic jam on the road 
and how I saw women washing and sweeping the road where he passes and some of them falling down uh, because they are overcome by the joy of seeing uh, or meeting this man of God and of course carry you know, those brooms to go and bless their homes for blessing. And I witness a performance of patriarchy and religion colliding together. And I began to take a very, you know, keen interest uh, in that church and the role of women and uh, how women perform domestic uh, responsibilities and roles and, you know, cleaning even roads for someone who had been elevated to almost godhood status. And I wanted to understand the clear link between uh, faith, uh, women, and patriarchy, and control also. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, two other incidences, I think, that propelled me into this, you know, the, the kind of dress which is linked to sexual purity. Mm. And um, I remembered having, uh, as director of the Gender Institute, I was teaching a course on religion and gender. And uh, I saw that demarcation in my classroom where there were followers of Prophet Award who came to class dressed that way, but they were being cajoled by other students. And you know, it generated a lot of conversation, a very heated conversation, you know, religion is a very emotive issue. Uh, but there was this very particular girl that I loved and adored. I, I thought she was just really such a smart girl. And um, I got to, have her as an intern at the institute, amazingly uh, eloquent and uh, you know very well organized girl, both in thought and in academia and in society. And uh, you know some of us were supporting the girl uh, because she came from a vulnerable family. And uh, you know when she joined that church, she completely lost it. You know, and I, I couldn't recognize the girl that I knew and taught and loved and and, and gave an internship. And, and, and also, so, so that began, made me to really begin to interrogate uh, the connection between um, faith and gender and, uh, you know, sort of uh, gender norms that change when uh, people assume a particular faith. But lastly, uh, because there are many incidences that I could talk about, uh, lastly is that I lost a friend to this church. And mm -hmm. it saddens me to use that word loss uh, because church should be a safe space where when someone joins, uh, then you are happy as a Christian that someone has joined a good church is going to have, you know, uh, the kind of uh, spiritual resources, is going to have fellowship, community, and, you know, is going to grow spiritually. But what happened to uh, this person, and I don't want to give details uh, out of respect and ethics, uh, this person was extremely, extremely close to me. Um, mm -hmm. And, and my family. And when she joined the church, she completely changed towards all of us, not just me. We, mm -hmm. we, we had a sort of a girl, can I call it uh, uh, the girls, eh? a, sort of a, a group that we loved each other, families, um, you know, they, they were, they are older than me. Uh, I belong to a group of, uh, uh, women who, uh, you know, there's some sort of, a, maybe a 10 gap here between myself and them. And they, they, they nurtured me as a young, uh, Christian mom. Uh, I, I agree to love them. We became so tight, but when she joined this church, she completely changed. 
changed her dressing, changed how she spoke, and completely disconnected from me and my family and all the other families. And mm. that I wanted to understand. How is it possible that a church takes you away from community, from family, mm. from friendship, um, from children, from, you know, you know you, you, when, we, when you think about family relationships, of course, people gain another type of relationship and as in family when they join church. Uh, but I keep telling people to date, my best friends are people that I met 20 years ago. It's not mm -hmm. the new relationships. So I lost that, that very precious relationship. And I began to, and, and my children were hurt by that loss. And all of us were hurt. I began to interrogate, what is it about that ch this church that takes away my student, takes away uh, my friends and family. And I see a complete performance uh, of patriarchy, but more importantly, a total 360 turnaround from yeah. the behavior that we knew to a complete stranger. So I wanted to document that uh, as a way of making sense of my loss and my pain, but yeah. also making a sense of societal loss because when you lose family you lose society mm. Mm. Yeah. so i wanted to make sense of that so that is actually what made me uh, to develop an interest in in uh, prophet david award church uh, particularly the relationship between uh, faith gender and religion and that's what i went to do at harvard university for an entire year and and uh, you can access my youtube uh, presentations about you know how uh, that church has completely changed the lives of so many women. Uh, patriarchy of God um, in patriarchy, uh, uh, you know, both cultural patriarchy and religious patriarchy really collides with the lives of women to produce women that I no longer recognize. Mm. So the, in short, that is what made me have an interest. And would you would you give maybe you said I know a link the YouTube links and uh, the link to the uh, elephant article I did on the show notes, mm -hmm. but would you give one or two findings that stood out for you? Um, so so a number of things uh, stood out for me. There's a very complex relationship between religion and gender. Uh, uh, people. Um, and, and, and some of the things that I'm going to say are very controversial. Um, and, and I recognize that and I'm happy to uh, uh, take any, any bricks uh, thrown on me. Uh, you, have, you have, I will protect you. They will hit me before they uh, hit you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so uh, th there are many things that attract uh, uh, women to profit or world's touch. Uh, one, uh, is is there is a, a a sense of a shared sisterhood bound together by um, their sort of uh, allegiance to this uh, man uh, who calls himself uh, the mightiest mightiest uh, mightiest prophet of God who has sort of really um, created a mystique around himself, a mystique of holiness, a mystique of uh, someone who Jesus Christ uh, 
comes to lay down on his feet uh, because that is what he has taught and there's evidence to that carol you can find that on youtube um uh, that uh, jesus appears to him talks to him um but uh, a, f- a few things stood out for me one um there is uh, the search for community and sisterhood a holy um a holy sisterhood bound together by the way they dress and also their allegiance to this particular man who they revere and love uh, with a passion I have never seen. But my research appears to uh, also lead to a sort of a social and religious anxiety around the messages that Ogor uh, preaches. His, his main message is purity message holiness and purity and purity is only located in women's bodies yes. it is a performance of women's bodies women uh, are, are the cause of sexual sin um in fact i i in in one of my youtube i speak about his message on vaseline telling women not even to apply vaseline to cracked heels and bodies and lips because it's going to uh, make a man attracted to them and to completely right. up, uh, you know, from neck to toes, um, you know, even in the heat in January, uh, wearing a polo neck uh, and, and, and the dresses that, you know, are made of heavy, almost cutting like material to, mm. to, to hide their, sec- um, to, to hide, um, you know, to, to, to not tempt men eh? by dressing that way. The reason mm-hmm. is not to tempt men to embody holiness because men are virtual human beings, uh, visual human beings who, when they see, they want. And that responsibility mm-hmm. is placed on women. So mm-hmm. if men will not go to the kingdom of heaven, which awards followers are waiting for every day, it is mm-hmm. because of, women but also there is also the other side of that uh, which is that um women are suffering anxieties around violence in their marriages patriarchal uh, social norms there is also the element of healing especially from hiv and aids wow. and because the purity messages was to sustain a sort of a, uh, a sexual abstinency. Mm-hmm. Women, in a way, feel that protects them from HIV and AIDS. Of course, he claims to heal HIV and AIDS, and there is even a woman professor from Megaton, and it is on YouTube. I can speak about that because it is in public knowledge. It is in public, in the public sphere, who claims to have been healed of HIV and AIDS and has been paraded and they are doctors, which is also another issue that we need to speak about, how clinical doctors are giving tacit approval to non-proven miracles and Mm -hmm. lie to people. And so uh, because of the fear, because uh, this is is in our country, women are struggling with uh, um, marital infidelity, Women are exposed to all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, many of them really get them in their own marital bed. So the message of sexual purity that is so you know, promoted by this church in a way that you know, gets into my nerves, 
appear to offer women a sense of security that if I stay sexually pure, I'm, I'm taken care of, I'm scared of, you know, this uh, sort of relationship, I might be safe from uh, HIV, AIDS, and sexually transmitted diseases. So there's, there are a lot of practical reasons why women are attracted to this judge. There's a search for sisterhood uh, because uh, Prophet Award is an exclusive organization church where you enter, you don't get out, but you are provided uh, fellowship within uh, that particular domain. And so you are able to fellowship with one another, but it also allows women to handle uh, their fears. So it's, it's about fear, it's about anxiety, whether they are, it's sexual anxiety, marital anxiety, violence anxiety. But also another practical thing is that it provides women, single women particularly who lack fellowship and are frowned upon by the Kenyan society, there they are not stigmatized. In fact, if anything, uh, and in the initial foundation of the ministry, they you actually are taken care of by the church. They raise money and they give money to women that are struggling. They pay school fees for single mothers that are struggling or widows. So, so there are all kinds of practical spiritual issues, but also very practical economic and, uh, you know, and social anxiety. So it allows people to, you know, to live out their lives in a very controlled manner, but where some of their uh, anxieties around marriage, around singlehood, around uh, patriarchy, around discrimination, social discrimination are taken care of. So I found that really as a takeaway, big takeaway. And that was based on uh, conversations with me, women followers, but also based on my own, um, you know, um, not ethnographic research, uh, observing this church for a very long time. And they would raise money. Uh, I, I even remember one particular woman who was very much involved in church leadership. She had an accident, she broke her leg. They actually bought her a car to, to move her from one place to another. Wow. Uh, so there is that practical uh, element that it, it, it used to meet. I don't know. I don't know because I haven't done research in the last one year and a half because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know whether that is still the case, but they used to be provided for the vulnerable women, the poor, the widows. Uh, they would go to church and they get money for school fees. They get money for food. Uh, so they, that, that, that was also a very practical uh, element that draws people uh, into, uh, into that particular church. So there are spiritual, uh, there are social anxieties, there are you know, frustrations uh, in society uh, that you know, make people uh, go to certain churches because there are things that they gain. There are things mm. that they gain there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think the other thing that I wanted us to, uh, especially around this in gender, is that one, Prophet Awari is very educated. He's highly educated. Mm -hmm. And also that people from all over the world, this is not only an African phenomena, mm -hmm. people from all over the world come to Kenya or mm -hmm. he's invited to fly all over. Mm -hmm. And well-funded, uh, well-recognized, well highly honored. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's this direct link between religion, mm -hmm. patriarchy, mm -hmm. and capitalism. But before we get to that, because today we, we, the reason we are having this conversation is because a month or two ago, um, well, really all over, during COVID times, gender-based violence in Kenya has been very high. Mm -hmm. But during this escalated, mm -hmm. um, 
COVID has escalated it. And as we, we keep saying that COVID, what COVID has come to do is that it has highlighted mm-hmm. the fractures in society. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to invite uh, Dr. Tari here to, for, uh, for, for her to help us understand what, what's going on in this country. Singi is a Swahili word meaning foundation. Our name and mandate comes from Psalms 89.14. We host engaging conversations on faith, social justice, and advocacy across all our social media platforms. We also offer training and consultancy services to help you navigate the world of social justice and faith. To engage with us, visit our website www.msingitrust.org Follow us on all our social media handles at Musingi Trust or email us on info at musingitrust.org. What is gender-based violence and what causes it, if you would, in simple terms? And then we will connect that to religion and what yes. we're speaking about here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, gender-based violence uh, is uh, violence really... Um, directed against a person based on, on, uh, on the agenda of their sex. In, in this case, uh, while, violence, uh, while gender-based violence uh, affects men, the majority of the people that suffer both gender and sexual violence are women. And um, that has further been reinforced during this time of COVID. I mean, there has always been gender-based violence uh, and one in three women uh, globally has uh, either, uh, you know, has, has been a victim of a gender-based violence. I, I, I think COVID must have taken that number a little higher. Uh, and, and, I, and I want to interrogate that because for us, as far as I know, uh, UN statistics have always been saying one in every three women has suffered uh, one or, or the many forms of, ge- of gender-based uh, uh, violence. But you yeah. know, just, just what happened uh, during this COVID uh, period, all over the world, it is not a Kenyan phenomenon. And, mm-hmm. and I, I have the statistics. If I knew you were going to ask me that question, I have statistics somewhere. I, I just cannot recall where they are right now. But uh, the, the reports, at least, at least between March, and I, Carol, I hope I'm right on this and we can check on it later on. But I think mm. between March of 2020, immediately after the lockdown to about yeah. July mm. uh, uh, of 2020, there were more than 300 cases reported to the police. Uh, you know, about, uh, you know, women calling the police and saying, I'm a victim of violence, I'm being beaten. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the lockdown exacerbated people's stresses, people's frustrations. There was also the mental fear. People were crippled by fear. Women were trapped with their spouses, whether they are husbands or boyfriend or intimate others in their houses. 
and they were also far away from help if there were helplines or if there were shelters they could go to because of the lockdown women could not get out and so many women suffered in britain the story was the same in the us the story was the same in india in costa rica and the statistics are there very well uh, laid down by um you know uh, you and women and i'm sorry i'm not able to get that right now but mm. Uh, it, 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 it has been an ongoing thing. It has been part of women's lives for a very long time. It has defined women's relationship with men for a very long time. And the home has emerged as one of the most unsafe spaces for women and girls. Mm. especially during this time of COVID when women were trapped, women and girls were trapped. We saw a lot of that. Women are beaten. Uh, intimate partner violence went up. Uh, girls themselves were abused, you know, by their abusers, whether they are uncles or cousins or, or house helps or people they work with. But we also saw a lot of uh, 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 girls sex trafficking at that yeah. particular time. And girls were locked up in houses and, and, and men were able to do what they wanted to do and pay them very little. You remember the case of many girls in Nairobi who parents could not locate and when they located them they said we were having a nice time you know so that has been uh, uh ongoing uh, so many cases also were reported in akuru i remember there was one particular uh case in which i was involved in because i know the uh, uh, part of you know the group that was affected there was this young uh, 17 year old man young boy who molested up to 14 children and the youngest was five years old repeatedly 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 uh, he would call them and give them sweets in a neighborhood in in a block of apartments mm -hmm. and nobody ever saw that until you know when one mother realized her daughter was screaming when she was uh you know urinating and realized mm -hmm. oh my god when she called the doctor and asked the girl what's going on she said oh so and so has been doing bad manners with us you know, and this bad manners, I think, is also something we need to uh, to name uh, uh, because uh, bad manners does not even begin to describe the kind of abuse, violent abuse that women and children are going on, uh, are enduring. So there is uh, there is that. So there is a lot of gender-based violence, and I've said it is um, you know violence uh, um, that is directed against any person uh, based on uh, their sex or, or their gender. Men are also beginning to experience a lot of that and uh, yeah. and we've seen the murder of so many men by women um and 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 uh, i am i abhor violence of any kind whether it's directed on uh, men or it is directed on women but in our particular case it is the women uh, that suffer so much uh, tremendous uh, gender-based violence because it's related to issues of power and 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 patriarchy and who holds power mm. and who holds power yeah i want i want to you know what, what this, I think the saddest story, uh, there are very many sad stories that we see. There are many pages in on Facebook that are exposing the, the ukatili na unyama. Those mm -hmm. like that, that is going on, mm -hmm. especially around young kids. Right. But the one that made me the saddest mm -hmm. is the one, the cost the one in the coast where it was a grandfather, mm -hmm. a man, and I think he was in his 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the watchman mm -hmm. of a complex. Mm -hmm. And he was he was caught raping uh, 
five, six year old. Mm -hmm. And we know, mm -hmm. and I can even swear mm -hmm. that this is not the first one that he has done this to. Absolutely. And and then he he was blaming the child for being uh, a nuisance, and he said, "I knew this child was trouble." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he was teaching, he was disciplining her by sexually abusing a child. Yeah. yeah. And he was blaming, she, he's now blaming her for being caught because she is trouble, because mm -hmm. she's vocal or because someone was looking for her or because he was caught. Mm -hmm. <sighs> and, and, and Carol, you know, as shocking as it is, and as, 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 a, as, a, as a mom, and I'm sorry, I will keep saying that because it's just something that uh, violence does to me as a mother, uh, to think that uh, children are there to be protected. I, I do not know whether there's anybody more vulnerable than a child in this world. Yeah. And a society that sexually, physically, emotionally abuses a child is not worth of being a society. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, for me, Carol, it is, it is, it is sad but it's not unexpected. It is. It has been a defining future of, uh, you know, a relationship in this country. We have had men, old men, grandfathers. I think, Carol, you saw the situation in Ukambani where mm. a father, a, a grandfather, and his son perpetually raped uh, their grandchild and niece uh, for so long. For so long, she was just nine years, which started, they started raping her, I think, as early as three or four years. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I keep asking myself where the mother or the grandmother was and how is it that they never knew. But it is the sort of intimidation that young children are intimidated into silence. Uh, but what, what that speaks to me is that home that should by all means by any standard should be a safe space for children yeah actually, one of the most dangerous spaces yeah Dr. i want to 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 what is it there's the, the statement you have said because that's the same thing the president said uhuru said where mm -hmm. was the mother when these children were being raped mm -hmm. i refuse i refuse that questioning because mm -hmm. You're also this sometimes the mother is not always there, and then it is the man who is making these actions. Mm -hmm. And maybe he has he has um he has silenced everyone into or coerced everyone into silencing and uh, into submission. And so he's the lion in, in the house, and nobody and when he roars, everybody listens, and so. Have we, I think for me, when we ask where is the mother or the grandmother, mm -hmm. I find that we are also blaming the women for the actions that the men are, are doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you are so right. Uh, and uh, I, I am not blaming the women in the sense that um, they, they didn't see that. I am blaming the silence because silence is also a weapon of war and violence. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and, the, and, and it comes in uh, because of the unequal gender relations. 
Say mm. for example, the old man in Ukambami who is raping his grandchild, yeah. I there is no one who will convince me that that woman didn't know. Mm. Because yeah. it went on year after year after year. And mm. since women are closest to their children in patriarchal arrangements, mm. the sense that they wash this kid, they dress her, you know, before she's, you know, able to do uh, some of those things. There are things that you notice uh, as, as, as a carer, as a, a caregiver. But the thing I am so against, and I'm not blaming any women, I'm blaming society, is mm. silence to mm. me uh, is used by violent men as yeah. another form of violence. Do it and you see. Mm. Do it and you are vulnerable because you will not be in this home. So you yeah. find women negotiating with patriarchy and violence by keeping quiet because of their unequal gender relationships, but yeah. also because she has no place to go to. Yeah. So it's also about security, mm-hmm. social security, food security, home security, and that sort of thing. So women are silenced mm. in, the, in, the, in the eyes of injustice because of the violence perpetrated mm-hmm. by these men. And also I think maybe They've, it has happened to them as well, and so, mm-hmm. and so they they think that it is a way of life. She's also think, a victim. Yes, so and she has internalized. Yes, and so mm-hmm. because I remember there's a time <laughs> I was my I, in the in the place where I stay. I was my niece was ill. Mm. And so I was taking, she was limping mm. and I was taking her to hospital and I can't remember what the issue was, mm. but the ladies, some of the house helps who, who after work, they, they come out uh, to chill with the young kids for mm. sun, for sun bas- basking and all. Mm-hmm. The the ladies were asking, asked me a very curious question mm. and they they basically asked mtoto kwani alishikwa so mm-hmm. i i wondered which now basically translates was this child raped molested yes or she molested mm-hmm. which which made me very scared because maybe in this mm-hmm. are complex that might be happening and i yes. don't know Right. Or mm-hmm. that they are so used to seeing kids getting molested that mm-hmm. a simple limp is directly mm-hmm. related to molestation. And that tells you how we have normalized it that uh, it, we can even casually just say, uh, as if it is nothing. Yes. Very sad, very sad scenario there. Uh, because uh, that, con- that, that statement alone is a tacit, uh, a sort of a frustrated, um, a frustrating giving up and normalization that says, oh, you know, atakama alishiko ni sawa si wa kwanza. Atapeleko kwa daktari and she will be okay. You see? Yes. yes. So that is how we lose our soul when mm-hmm. we have normalized sexual molestation even of young children like that that even conversations are very casual 
they are very casual. And you know, for real, it was, I was exiting, it's women who like, because they, the, the, the households are like, you know how the, the, the rate, the, you know, to add, that rate, the, mm-hmm. the turnover rate is quite right. high. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's women I have never seen. They don't know me. Right. So she's just casually asking, and it's mm-hmm. and it's not for help. It's right. just for news for information and gossip. Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So my, this leads me to the next question: Is what is the role of culture in in gender based violence, sexual mm. and gender based violence, and also when does gender based violence become sexual, and how do you, and even before we come to the role of culture, when does it move from GBV to SGBV? Right. Um, so so gender based violence is really very broad. Eh? Uh, it, it encompasses uh, uh, physical violence. You know the beating, uh, the slapping. Um, yeah. You know, you know the way the way a man uh, or, or, or a woman really get very violent. Uh, mm. But but also there is the mental, the mental violence. There is the physical violence. There yeah. is the psychological attack. Eh? That 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 situation of nail by mouth in families. Eh? Mm. I'm not going to speak to you for the next three weeks. Eh? And, yeah. and completely just torture each other for two weeks without uh, any communication. That is really a very extreme form of uh, uh, both psychological and emotional violence. And, um, you know, and uh, it, it's a very common thing. You even hear pastors preaching in church. Oh, you know, in my house, it is nil by mouth. And, and people mm, don't get to understand yeah. how violent that is. And then we church. laugh. You know, we laugh. And it's we laugh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> When you drive people over communication uh, and asking, uh, running a house is not a, a walk in the park and, and consultation has to, there has to be constant negotiations and constant uh, communication and constant, uh, you know, uh, navigation. And then you deny a person that for, for two weeks uh, and say, for example, a child gets sick, you know, and uh, the decision has to be made to take that child to hospital. Uh, or to ask for money to take that child to hospital, but it is nil by mouth. Can you mm-hmm. begin to imagine, Carol, of the mental torture for a mother with a sick child yeah. who is having a nil by mouth with her husband? Yeah. It, it, it's extreme mental torture. It's very frustrating. Uh, it's very bad treatment, and that in itself is violence on its own. So there is mm-hmm. the physical, there is the, the emotional, there is... Uh, uh, the psychological, there is the economic where you, you withdraw support uh, from the person completely. And this really happens in situations where, you know, there are unequal uh, power relations where probably the man is the main earner of income and mm. uh, the woman uh, sits down and wait for the salt uh, to be brought. Uh, and, and, and men have used, used that to not only... Uh, violate women uh, economically and you know lead to poverty and lead to hunger and food insecurity and all kinds of insecurity in the house um mm. but also you cannot imagine the kind of you know mental torture that is for women to be uh used that way economically but also on another side is that uh, men uh, have used money to sexually mm. violate women in any way and use them and dump them as yeah. long as I can pay for services, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you think about uh, that that kind of sexual transaction, 
uh, uh, people call it prostitution or slay queening these days. Um, yeah. But um, women are put in a situation where they absolutely have no power and the only currency they traffic is their bodies. That mm. to me is, 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 is extremely unfortunate. But then of course, then there is also the sexual side of violence and, and that where we have, uh, it's no longer just uh, gender-based violence, but it's also gender and sexual-based violence. And there you have intimate yeah. violence, uh, you have uh, you know, rape, uh, and that also can include, uh, not can, includes marital rape. We have the violation of, sexual violation of children. You, we, we, we have transactional sex, we have sex tra trafficking and sex tourism these days. So uh, the, two, the, two, the two of them, uh, there can be uh, gender-based violence without uh, sexual violence, but there can also be gender-based violence and which leads to sexual uh, violence. Uh, so it, it, it's just semantics really, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, the, the two of them uh, really go uh, hand in hand. Um, and uh, the, I think the other question you... No, the, the next question was on culture. What is the role of culture in... in yes. Absolutely. I forgot to speak about also so much uh, cyber-based cyber gender violence and cyber-based oh, yes. yes. sexual violence yeah. that is taking place. I wrote that on the elephant, and women mm. are particularly... Uh, now, be, uh, I mean, violence, uh, it has, it's not only just physical, but also we are attacked online in every yeah. sense, our bodies, how fat we are, how ugly we are, we are our bodies are sexualized, um, you know, men even speak of us as if it is food that they can devour, yeah. and, and that kind of language is uh, it's just so, so depressing for me. There are even so, songs, there's a Kikui song. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a woman who, yeah. <laughs> I think, the you know, in, in Kikuyu, there's a proverb that says there's no news, that there's nothing that can't be laughed about. Yes. So I am laughing about this thing that is really not laughing material. But yes. there's a woman mm -hmm. who, there's a song that is very popular in, in Kikuyu domain. It's called Toirio Toega. Mm. So... Toyotwega translates good food. Right. Good, good and like good yummy food, like yes, in a little yes. portion. And so, mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> the yes. whole premise of the song is that, yes, women are good food. And women are food. Women, women are food. Are and, food. And, and we even talk about it, uh, you know, we are also fruits, eh? Kashungua. Mm -hmm. Yes, you. Yes, you. Yes, you. you know, I, I speak in I grew up in Gong, so I speak in so I understand what you are saying, Carol. Yes. And then, you know, we are laughing about it because we don't want to cry in front of our children, as Modekai uh, Oganda says. So yes. uh, laughter, laughter for us is a way for us to release the pain that we carry. Yes, and, and and I and I always um, um, sometimes when I am just so overcome by the pain that I see around me, I sit down and laugh. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm laughing so that I don't die. Yeah. So, so I don't feel guilty about laughing about these things. There's, it's not a laughing matter, but mm -hmm. laughter is also resistance. Mm. We must use laughter as resistance. That yeah. I'm just going to laugh about this as I make sense of what is happening. So to come back to the role of uh, culture, you know, mm -hmm. a big deal. Oh, culture is also a big purveyor of gender and sexual-based violence. Uh, you know, culture is used to uh, justify violence. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for example, uh, you know, let let me give my own example of Maasai land where I come from. Uh, but I think this runs across the entire country. Uh, women uh, occupy in subordinate position uh, to to those of men. Men are the heads yeah. of the household, and even in church, we are told men are the heads and women are the neck. Yes, that support the head, and I want to move my neck so that I see where that head is going to to start. Mm. Now yeah. I am thinking as a feminist. Mm. Uh, but uh, if you think about uh, you know both gender and sexual violence that is uh, given tacit approval by culture, say for yeah. example, female genital mutilation or child mm. marriage or forced marriage. Yeah. Uh, those are cultural issues that are perpetuated and justified by cultural traditions, by social norms, by gender norms, prevailing gender norms. So culture plays a very, very big role in a perpetuation of both sexual and gender and gender-based violence. When a woman is beaten uh, in Maasai land, I'm disciplining a child. If you've been inspired, challenged, and or enjoyed this conversation and would like to contribute to this and catch up with more of such, Remember to follow us on social media at Msingi Trust, share this podcast with your friends and family, and also consider making a donation to support the production of this podcast. Donations can be made through PayPal, msingikenya at gmail.com, Patreon at msingikenya, or through M-Pesa, plus 254-792-176-030. Kwaherini, and thank you for joining us.